It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. I'm Adam Ritz, and today we are on campus at the Ohio. Ohio State University with the football team, and we are broadcasting in front of this live studio audience. All right. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Lots of energy. Uh, a lot of love in the room here at uh, the Ohio State University with the football team. What we're going to do is uh, award one of the student athletes here with the Caught in the Act Award. And what that is, is uh, you've been caught in the act off the field with high character, uh, with your community service, with your leadership, your student leadership. Uh, talk to the coaches before the broadcast, and uh, several names were nominated, and it was unanimous. The coaches voted on, and let's have a round of applause for Jack Muhort. Where are you at, Jack? Come on up. All right, Jack, how are you? Good, how are you? Let's uh, learn about you real quick. Uh, what's your position? Left tackle. Left tackle. What year are you? I'm a senior. And uh, you've been recognized for your high character and your community service. How does that make you feel? Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm glad my teammates and my coaches hold me in this high regard, so it's an honor. And uh, off the field, let's talk about some of your community service. Um, I hear you helped build a playground. Yeah, uh, as a team, we went over to a local public school and uh, helped you know, re-landscape and build playgrounds and uh, just make it an all-around better place to be. So that wasn't just me, that was the entire team. So that, that's just a small example of the kind of outreach opportunities we have here at Ohio State. Well, how about that character that he's not going to take all the credit, he wants to give it back to the team. I like that. You're six, seven. 900 pounds. Yeah, that's, that's about right. And when you built the swings and the slide, you didn't test them out, did you? No, they, I don't think they would have supported me. Okay, yeah. well, let's have a, another round of applause for all the student-athletes here in Jack at Ohio State University. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Urban Meyer of The Ohio State University. You're listening to The Adam Rich Show. The broadcast rolls on uh, near Pittsburgh on the campus of Penn State Greater Allegheny. Our guest is Jim Chester. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well, Adam. How are you? Tell us real. I'm great. Tell us real quick about Penn State uh, Alle- Greater Allegheny. Uh, we're we're a little south uh, southeast of Pittsburgh. Yeah, uh, we're about 15 miles from Pittsburgh. Uh, we are one of the 24 Commonwealth campuses of Penn State University. 24? Yes, sir. 24 spread out all across the Commonwealth. Oh, I, I had no idea. I mean, I knew Pennsylvania was a was a wide state, um, and I knew Penn State was a big deal. But 20, I'm that's amazing to me. 24. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, cool. We have about 700 students here. You know, we uh, we offer every degree that Penn State offers at least the first two years of it. Um, we have some four-year majors here, along with a lot of four-year athletic programs. Okay, so that's Penn State Greater Allegheny, and as uh, athletic director, you oversee uh, the student-athletes, about two, 300 of them. 
Yeah, well, actually, a little, little less than uh, 200, but, uh, you okay. know, we have nine varsity sports this year. We've grown to, uh, that over the last five years. Uh, we've grow, been growing every year. We've added a sport every year and just continuing to grow every year. What's the last sport you've added? We just added men's and women's soccer this fall. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, well, as athletic director, we bring you on this show, and we come to your campus to talk about integrity and character and community service. So uh, we all know that to be a student athlete, you need a lot of leadership skills, and a lot of times with these young people and their leadership, skills uh, off the court, off the field, they accomplish some great things. Tell us about the community service within your own athletic department. Well, every year uh, for the past five years, we go over to Auburly. Auburly is a home for at-risk youth right across the street here. We do an all-sports clinic. Uh, we have a great day, and then we spend some time one-on-one with the with the um, uh, students that are over at their at-risk home, and we go and we teach them a little bit about, you know, life skills and along with, you know, our specific sports, and we do that every year. And then this year we have a different initiative. Every, every sport is going to do their own community service act. Um, I know our baseball and softball programs are heading over to the Miracle League in Upper St. Clair. We have some uh, teams going to the food bank. We got some doing all kinds of different things in the community. And how long have you been here on campus? Uh, I've been here seven years. Five. So, yes, wow, yeah. you don't look that. You look very young. Well, I was going to say you, you don't look you. that old, but you look very young. <laughs> Appreciate and it. And athletic director slash head baseball coach yes. as well. Yes, yes. I've been five years as the AD. Seven. This is my seventh year as the baseball coach. So uh, I got thrown into this young, and uh, I'm very excited and you know running with the opportunity. Okay. So now as we uh, talk about integrity and character uh, with the head baseball coach now. Um, and for our listeners, you know, not everybody listening plays sports or ever, ever even touched a baseball, but we can all learn from people of high character. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. One of your players from the baseball diamond over the last five years that exemplified incredible character while on campus, what are they doing now? And why are you not surprised that they're doing it now? Uh, it's uh, That's an easy one. It's, it's funny that you bring that up now. I just found out today one of our former players is uh, – Guy enrolled at Northwestern to start his uh, civil engineering PhD, no and kidding. yeah, and he started out here, and he was a great. He was a two-sport athlete. Was a high character, always on time. Yes, sir. No, sir. And you just knew this young man was destined for great things. And he's going to be a doctor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, I can't say I'm surprised, um, but it's a great accomplishment on that end, and we're very proud of him. And in a few years, you, he won't return your phone calls. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not sure of that I really I hope I hope he does, um, but you know we're very proud of him. And not only was he you know a great player, he was a great great student. And you know he's just uh, it seems like the sky's the limit for him. Well, let's give what's his name? His name's Mike Highland. Uh, he graduated locally here from Central Catholic High School. Was a point guard on our basketball team. Uh, was a utility guy baseball wise, and just you know did a great job. Did a great okay, job. Mike Highland, Doctor Highland. Uh, Dr. If you're Highland. listening in the Chicagoland area at Northwestern University, hi Mike, how are you? Thanks for being part of the show, Jim Chester. You've been a fantastic host. I love the campus, Penn State, Greater Allegheny. Anybody listening, check it out online. Uh, come to school here. I'm sure their admissions office would love to hear from you. What's the uh, website? Uh, ga.psu.edu. And uh, yeah, we love you. And if you know, we love general general student population. But if you're an athlete, no, we'd love to have you. All right, that's Jim Chester. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Get socially technical with the Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social, technically. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show. We uh, have a great guest with us now. I'm at the National Convention of the AFLV with Mike 
Dilbeck. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Thanks for having me. And right off the bat, I have to comment on this radio voice that you have. Let me, uh, let me have some of that sugar. I love it. Thank you. I, I've never been told that. Maybe I should go into radio. I don't believe that no one's ever told you that you have a radio voice. They say I have a good speaking voice. I don't know if I've ever been told I have a good radio voice. Wow. Maybe I missed my calling. 20 years in radio, I'm telling you, you have a great wow. radio voice. So this is the launch of the Mike Dilbeck Show. You heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is a, um, an expert in uh, sort of a new field, at least from my perspective, called bystander behavior. And if you haven't heard of this term yet, you soon will. It's kind of like if you if you there's a new car on the road. You've never heard of this car. You, you see the you see a new Fiat. Your friend buys a Fiat. Guess what? You're going to see a Fiat everywhere. From from this point forward, you're going to hear the term bystander behavior wherever you go. And Mike, tell us a little bit more uh, about this term, what it means, and what you do with this uh, industry of bystander behavior. Well, you're right, um, Adam. It is a new phenomenon that's being talked more and more about today. Because I think for many years, we always talk about the perpetrators to bad behaviors, those that cause the bad behaviors, whatever we see in life. And it could be a behavior. It could be somebody saying something inappropriate. But then we also also talk about the victim to what is happening. But we hardly ever talk about the third party, the person, the observer, the person who sees it, they hear about it. They have an opportunity in that moment to do something to intervene, but they don't. And that really is capturing bystander behavior. It's the behavior of the bystander, mm-hmm. of the observer. And we have all been bystanders in our life. How has it changed um, in the high-risk demographic of, a, of a, let's say, a 20-year-old from 18 to 24? The, that demographic, um, how has it changed with this term? And, and is it sinking in? Are the, is this high-risk demographic speaking up when they see things go awry? Uh, I know I've heard about this term a lot with, um, with dating violence. If you see a volatile relationship, you should darn well speak up before somebody gets hurt or worse. I think my personal feeling is that it has helped. Now, I don't know if we're just simply making a small dent because it's a huge problem. It's an international problem. I mean, it's a, it's a human being problem that we all deal with, right? So and it's a very hard thing to assess. You, it's hard to pinpoint when you do intervene, what had you intervene? What, you know, was it your values? Was it, you know, a speech you just heard or a radio program you just, you know, came across? What is it that contributed to that? So it's a hard thing to assess if we're making the difference we want to make. But I honestly feel it's one of those messages that we got to keep making no matter what. No matter what assessment we have, if we have hard data that says we are, you know, transforming something, I think there's different stories I hear and text messages I get and emails I get on our website that do signal that we're making a difference. But I don't know if those are just, you know, small dents. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and it's just being a new phenomenon there hasn't been a lot of research and a lot of data collected and a lot of assessment being done it is that new of a conversation but um i think the more we start talking about it the more you're going to see about it as you already alluded to and um you know as far as i can tell i'm the only professional speaker on the market anywhere for colleges even for corporate that's specifically speaking about this now there there are other programs on sexual assault, on different behaviors that include this, and I love that they do. But when I talk to audiences, I look at it as the overall, the overall umbrella phenomenon, and I let them see whatever it is in their life that they can attach it to and connect the dots. And like, oh, yeah, I saw that situation last week as I was walking down the street of my hometown. And 
somebody was, you know, whatever they were doing, and I wanted to intervene, but I didn't. They make that connection themselves. It has maybe nothing to do with sexual assault or drug and alcohol abuse but, or bullying, but it has something to do with their own personal life. Our guest is Mike Dilbeck. He's an expert with bystander behavior, and one of the uh, big, I guess, news stories here in the media recently are, it seemed like for a while there, every week, somebody was getting pushed off a subway platform in front of a subway train in New York. Uh, from a bystander behavior perspective, you're there, you're down on the subway platform, you see this happening. What's the protocol? What, what are we supposed to do as bystanders? How do we behave in that situation? Well, it's hard to, you know, say, oh, this person should have done this, and they should have done this, and they should, because we're not there. We don't know all the different factors and variables coming from all different angles to contribute to that situation. So it's hard to give a formulaic, you know, this is what you should do. But there is something to be said about it, and that is, first of all, I want to say, I, I never tell people what to do because I don't have the right to tell them. I don't know everything that's going on in a particular situation. I don't know their life. But what I'm giving them are tools that they can use to apply to the situation if they're appropriate to use. And you know, I call it, the framework I use is called T3. And it's the set of tools, three tools. So everything starts with T. Three tools that they can use, and they all start with T. So it's target the problem, transcend any barriers that show up that get in the way of you doing something, and then take action. So um, target problem. So whatever you say is a problem. Not what I say, what you say. Because of your own moral compass and your own gut instinct, you know, you're standing on that platform. It doesn't take much gut instinct to, to get, oh, my God, somebody just fell on the tracks. I should do something. Yeah. You don't have to be too awake to see that. There's other things that are more subtle in life that you have, have to have more of a moral compass to figure out. But, and then you've got to go, okay, what's going to stop me? Fear? Uh, the thought that somebody else will do something. It's not my job. Um, you know, I don't know if you can think this about the subway platform because clearly it's a problem, but many problems that we see, are, we think, well, nobody else is doing anything. It must not be a problem. It's a little hard to say that when somebody's sitting on a, you know, or laying on a subway track. I mean, that's yeah. clearly a problem that you can't, you know, write off. But um, there's many things that happen in the world that you think, God, I must be the only one that thinks this is a problem. And then in that moment, if you honor that thought as the truth, then it will devolve into, this is just the way it is. I don't need to do anything. And then that's what has us sell out and walk away. But then if we do get that, okay, this is a problem. i got to do something about it. Then there's immediately going to show up some obstacle, some barrier in the way that will have us not intervene. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, fear will get in the way. Uh, the thoughts of, well, it's not my problem. Somebody else will do something. Mm -hmm. And then that's when we walk away. Um, it's anything, any obstacle, any reason, any excuse, any you know, justification, any rationalization that we honor in our head as, okay, I don't have to do anything here. But if we get past that, if we can, like I say, transcend it, go beyond it, acknowledge it, the trap of it will let go, and then we find ourselves in a space of, okay, what now? And that's when you can take an action, whatever is appropriate, whether it's simply having a conversation with somebody, whether it's intervening in a conversation where something inappropriate was said, whether it's taking some kind of action, jumping in and saving somebody, pulling somebody off of a subway track, um, uh, even putting your life in danger. I never say for people to do that because I don't want people to come back at me and go, Mike Delbeck told me to. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, be safe, be responsible, right? Don't be stupid. Uh, protect yourself and your well-being. But... Um, Inter intervening takes risk. It takes courage, mm -hmm. whether it's just speaking up or whether it's taking a, some other bolder type action. 
and determine what kind of action you're going to take. And um, and there's you know a lot of times we think that in your face high drama confrontation, you know, and in some situations is the only action to take. Well, that's not always the most appropriate. Sometimes it's not appropriate at all. Yeah, sometimes you got to let people sober up or, you know, get off their high or whatever's impacting them in the moment and talk to them later because talking to them in that moment's not going to help. Right. It's just not going to make it may even exacerbate the situation. So there's just getting to know those different options and um, knowing what would work best in this situation, but that takes education. That takes getting to know this phenomenon and what are the different options and the different ways of intervening. But um you know, something I always say about taking action, you know, because a lot of the other myth that we believe uh, is true is, um, well, if I can't do anything big, it's not worth doing anything at all. Therefore, we don't do it. Yeah. Because we're coming from our own fears when we look at that. And I encourage people not to come from your fear. And I always tell people, if you ever wonder if an action is big enough, come from the perspective of the victim. When you, look, when you can look from their viewpoint and what they would want somebody to do in that moment... And a lot of times, I'll tell you, I use this scenario as the Penn State situation. You know, what would those 10-year-old boys in the shower want somebody to do? Yeah. And I think you'll find a different answer to that question if you come from their perspective. What do they need you to do versus coming from your own fear? Yeah, that's a great point. Great point from Mike Dilbeck, host of the Mike Dilbeck Show, uh, a bystander behavior uh, expert. Uh, let me ask you, um, you know, you mentioned moral compass. And from a moral point of view, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, moral uh, decisions that you have to make in a split second. When you see a, a situation, you have to decide whether you're going to intervene. What about from a, from a criminal uh, point of view? Yeah. Can a bystander be charged criminally in a court of law for not intervening to help somebody? They can be. So in two different sides of the coin on that, um, uh, there is, you're seeing more and more litigation show up where bystanders are being held accountable. You can, again, I've mentioned it, you can look at Penn State. Yeah. You know, you're, that's becoming a, I don't know that there's ever been a more vivid and layered case of bystander behavior in our history. Uh, that something that lasted over many years and something that had so many layers of the university involved. Several people. All the way down to the janitors, allegedly. Yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, I, I now speak on a lot of college campuses, specifically to janitorial staff now because of that Penn State situation. But um, it is, you're seeing more and more accountability being given to people who could have in that moment done something and they just, that was negligent on their part to not do that. So, and there's, there's being, you know, legal awards handed out um, or criminal cases being, you know, or guilty verdicts being given to bystanders. Um, but I should also have a responsibility to also cover on the other side of the coin, there's, um, there's litigation and there's, you know, some, there's some pretty heavy consequences at times. So I don't want to sugarcoat this issue as, you know, just being, you know, I'll go out there and act. There's been also situations where people found themselves in very negative situations from intervening. So, again, you got to be safe. you got to be responsible. you got to think it out sometimes, if you can. Now, sometimes if things happen in the moment and somebody's life is in danger or somebody's on a subway track, there's not a lot of thinking that goes on. A lot of times in those moments you're just acting by gut impulse. Yeah. It's more reactionary than anything. So there are those moments. And there's other things that are happening that sometimes they happen over time that you can think about more strategically and you can think through more maybe even talk to other people and get help with and get advice from people that know um, 
I get asked questions all the time. But again, I don't ever tell people what to do. I just lead them through the process so they can determine what they want to do. And it's their decision. They own it. It's not like, well, Mike Dilbeck told me to do this. Yeah. Because who am I to tell anybody? You know, I'm not there. But, you know, it's because people have real issues that they deal with in life. You know, as I travel the country and speak, I allow my audience members to text me their stories live in real time. Yeah. Right there was on stage. And then I read some of them out loud. And they're heartbreaking, what people walk around with. The things that have happened to people, whether they've been the victims to bystander behavior, they were in a situation where they wanted somebody to intervene and nobody did. And I tell the story about me being bullied in junior high, that that happened. But then also, they're very honest with me about situations that they didn't intervene. And they hold that with them forever. Yeah, a lot of guilt. A lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of why didn't I? And not only that, it's not even a... It is that, but I think it's even deeper than that. In those moments, we make decisions about ourselves and about life and about others. Like when I got bullied, you know, and nobody intervened, I made up that people don't care, that I'm in this world alone. Mm -hmm. I can't ever depend on people. And that's not a very great way to live your life, thinking I can't depend on people, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I've, I've gotten past that now, and I've sorted all that out. But we also, as when we're bystanders and we don't make the difference in that moment that we want to make... We make decisions about ourselves. I really can't make a difference. Mm-hmm. I'm not the one. Somebody else needs to. And when somebody else, something else occurs in our life where we have that opportunity again, by damn, we're not going to. Mm-hmm. Because we've already done that once. We've tried and we failed. So there's a huge impact. So not even only legally and, you know, in our litigious society, you know, and now legal attorneys are being trained to go for everybody. So beware. But also the personal, emotional, and in, you know, on your confidence impact that it has on each one of us as we go through our lives. He's Mike Dilbeck. He's a national uh, spokesperson for bystander behavior, a national uh, speaker, uh, covers this issue coast to coast uh, with the colleges, I'm assuming, and, and young people across America. And you do some corporate work as well. Yeah. What's the oldest audience? You mentioned janitors at colleges. Yeah. What, what's the oldest audience you've spoken to? Oh, well, as far as audience, I don't know. I've had some 80, 90-year-old people. Oh, my God. they look at you like no. you're speaking Chinese. Well, and it's interesting. They they do, because this is the deal. First of all, I should say, and I, if you don't mind me saying that, um, I'm actually the founder and president of the Responsibility Project, okay. which is the platform that I speak from. You Please, know, what are the yeah. uh, digital uh, mm-hmm. avenues we can get it's to that? RA Project. Org. And um, it's just a fully comprehensive website of resources, all based on bystander behavior. And we, we even have six problem issue areas that you could go and get resources on bullying and how to, you know, intervene against bullying, how to, you know, sexual assault, um, discrimination. So different problem issues. So I won't say a lot about it, but if anybody's interested in they go to raproject.org. I encourage people to take the Everyday Hero Pledge. We just launched the National Everyday Hero Campaign a year ago. And it really is engaging people in what does it look like to be a hero, an everyday, average, ordinary person like you and like me, being a hero for others. Because I personally believe, and I will argue, that that's all we want to be in life. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That's all we want to be. No, we're not out there with our capes on, you know, shouting it to the mountaintops. I want to be a hero. I've got a cape in my car. Oh, perfect. So do I. We'll wear them later. <laughs> so, um, but people aren't doing that because we have a screwed up relationship to the word hero. But I want people to embrace the word. I want people to live into being a hero. What does it look like? And I want, once you do, I want you to tell everybody and inspire others to do the same. I think that's when we'll have a different society, as we can embrace the opportunity it is. Not the narcissistic, egotistical opportunity that heroism right. is related to today, but the opportunity it is to protect people, keep them safe, and... Um, have a much better world than what we live in now. And the hero campaign is part of the responsibility campaign. And what is that website again? 
RA Project for Responsibility Project. So it's www.raproject.org. And what is your Twitter and Facebook? And let's get okay, all that let's out get there. Get all that there. Uh, Twitter is response. Ability, which is actually two words but made into one word. So okay. it's not the typical spelling of responsibility. It's the two words, responsibility, made into one. Okay. Okay, and that's the Twitter handle. Uh, we're also that on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, responsibility. So it's, if you put in the link, it's facebook.com backslash response period ability. That's great branding because most people don't know how to spell responsibility anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully they'll get to where they're going with our program. And, um, you know, I wanted to ask you from a, from a pop culture point of view. Sure. Uh, we're speaking with Mike Dilbeck, uh, bystander behavior expert. And we cover a lot of these issues on this broadcast between bullying and hazing and now bystander behavior. And it's changed the way I watch American pop culture, the way I listen to music, the way I watch movies and television. And an example that pops into my head, I was watching with my kids. I bring it up when, when I watch with my, with my kids. I'll bring up a bystander behavior situation when it happens in the movie. And one that pops in my head, I, and I can't watch this movie without thinking of bystander behavior. Oh, and from this point forward, I'll think of you every time I see this scene in this awesome. movie. In the movie Grease with John Travolta. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene where they're in the high school hallway. It's all the T-Birds and John Travolta, and Eugene walks by. And he's kind of the geeky guy that they've picked on through the movie. And John Travolta is the star of the movie, and he's the cool guy. He's the hero. He's, he's the alpha male of the movie. His T-Birds are kind of his underlings, his minions, and they are picking on Eugene in a stairwell. They're dumping his books. They're picking at his face. They're making fun of him. And John Travolta walks up the staircase right by them, looks at them making fun of Eugene, and keeps walking and doesn't say a word. And I, you know, when I was eight years old when that movie came out, I saw it. When I was eight through 40, I never thought twice about that scene. But now that I'm familiar with bystander behavior, I watch that scene, and every time I think, Danny, come on, Danny, you should have said something. That is a beautiful example of a golden opportunity that he missed. Yeah. Because having the kind of, and not all of us have that kind of power and influence like Danny did, but in that moment, he had such a beautiful opportunity. Yeah. Now, again, he wasn't picking on Eugene. He didn't do anything to Eugene, but he walked by it and knew it was happening and didn't say a word. He was the observer. He was the bystander. Yeah. And that's what I think is the main point of our conversation today is to, for people to really get, people who are listening to this program, that we all have those kind of opportunities. We all are in our moments Danny, mm-hmm. seeing whatever we see, you you got to believe, at least I choose to believe the goodness in people. I actually wrote a blog article, it's on the website called I Refuse to Believe. And it really is, I refuse to believe that people are that mean. I refuse to believe that people actually don't care. Yeah. I choose to believe that people do care. We just get stopped and we get fearful and we get scared and we have things that stop us from actually showing that in reality. And, I, you know, we, we can take the case, granted it's a script, it's a Hollywood movie, but if it was in real life, Danny would care. And he did in that moment have that moral compass radar go off and that gut instinct, I want to do something here. And even better, because of his power and influence, he could have totally altered that situation and boom, like just giving him a look. He didn't probably have to say anything, yeah. but giving him that Danny look. Could have totally done everything he needed to do to have them shut up, leave the guy alone. We could have went over and put his arms around the geek yeah. and walked around. You know, and that would have made a major statement right there. You know, I tell us, the story I tell in my keynote, you know, and will be in my upcoming book, is when I was bullied in junior high by the star football player. 
the, the one with power. A little bit different than Danny's situation, because in this situation, Buster Thompson was the bully. And everybody wanted to emulate everything that B Buster did. And they yeah. joined in the hallway and bullying me and calling me names. And when I kind of came out of the fog of what just happened, thinking, I hope this is a, was a, just a bad dream, I realized I was all in the hallway alone. Everybody had left. Nobody stood up for me. And um, that, is, that had an impact on me like nothing ever has in my life. And it wasn't as much what I was called. It was the fact that I really made the decision in that moment that nobody cares. Yeah. And sometimes that has an even bigger impact than whatever behavior was being shown to you in that moment. It's what wasn't being shown. People didn't have my back. They didn't stand up for me and my dignity. Mm -hmm. And that just, that shakes you up. That's powerful to hear it that way. It's not the bully and what the bully said to you. It's the fact that nobody else stood up for you. That's yeah, interesting to hear that. what the bully does. You know, that has an impact. Sure, sure. But the fact that nobody stands, you know, in a moment, somebody could have intervened. Let's go back to Penn State. The, we have no idea still, really, even though he's been indicted, you know, how much impact there was and on how many boys from Jerry Sandusky at Penn right. State. We can't even fathom the emotional impact. And we, we heard about some of it, you know, through the testimonies of some of them. But, you know, it was, uh, it has to also be added on to, like, I don't even know how to say it, but additional impact, like layers and layers and layers of impact on top of that initial impact of, wow, why didn't that coach intervene for me? Why didn't, you know, I can't, still can't wrap my head around and I don't think he's a villain. I think we would have all been confronted in that situation. But Mike McCreary, why didn't he go in there and grab a bench or something or push Jerry Sandusky off the boy? Yeah. I can't imagine why he couldn't, you know, seeing what he saw, allegedly, because all of his is still in the legal courts too. But it's just, I think it's just a powerful, even I'll use the word disgusting example of this phenomenon. Mm -hmm. But and I will say that that case put this phenomenon on the map in a way that it never has been. Uh, so I think it hopefully will wake us all up. All right, Mike Dilbeck, thank you so much for taking the time to appear on the show to enlighten us with the topic of bystander behavior. I'm Adam Ritz. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of The Adam Ritz Show. As always, uh, we have a lot of fun on Twitter. Join us, won't you? At Adam Ritz. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.